This week, Joe shares all of his saucy details on the fight with Manchun, and we get pretty deep on the alignment spectrum. Plus, something for you. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon, where you can get yourself some really nice dice. At the moment, on sale in the resin section, you can find the new Plane Shard series, and they are just gorgeous. And the set I wanted to buy have already sold out, so I feel your pain. But the other two sets, they're available. Go and check them out and get 10% off with the code We Speak Common. We'll talk more about it a little bit later, plus something specifically for you. Yes, you. But first. Joe, you alright, mate? Benjamin, how is it going? Oh uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not going too bad. It's um, well, I got my uh, <laughs> I got my first paycheck from the new the new job, and mm-hmm. uh, I worked one hundred and fifty four hours in the space of like three weeks. So that's, that's um, good going. That is that's that's, uh... that's how it's been going. That's what my life has been, to be honest. I always do that when I like start a new job or whatever. I just go pretty ham, hmm. like early on. Normally to the point where I'm like, "And I've ruined myself." Yeah, you know, that's uh, now I hate what I'm doing. It's been only four days, mm-hmm. and uh... yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. I mean, all of my spare time is is filled up with podcasting, radio shows, demos, and then and then like the very very limited amount of time I have to myself not doing that is like catching up on tv and stuff i I live with phoebe and i've seen her probably once in the last month so, so. Oh, it's, it's good it's good life i love it it was great <laughs> well benjamin speaking of uh dungeons and all dragons yes uh well kind of kind of both. which in, in this case but um well, i want to talk about uh the game our game specifically okay i want to talk about manchun Mm-hmm. We had a uh, an encounter with Manchin. Yeah. And so, uh, just for reference, we've I think we've had two sessions since we recorded, haven't we? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay. So, so in that time, you've not only made your way into the Colat Towers, but you've you found Manchun and you fought with him. Yes. Right. Now, I won't go through all the the Colat Tower stuff and whatnot. That was wonderful, but mm-hmm. I feel like we've got bigger fish to fry here, Ben. <laughs> so. <laughs> So we fight a, uh, a Manchun simulacrum, which goes pretty much how a fairly standard D and D encounter would go. I, I would say, like a boss yeah. battle. Yeah, um, he had he had help as well. He had like he had lo- he had lots of help. There were quite six a few other in- people. Yeah, yeah, and they were sort of flooding like another two per round or whatever. It felt like waves of reinforcements. Mm-hmm. The the pacing was good. It was a very quite a cinematic, uh, cool fight you know mm. uh, everyone got to use their D abilities and whatnot so that was like a, a fairly standard fight then we eventually find manchim he was having a kip it was just waking up yeah it was just waking up he wanted to um to move it over to the lounge but i was uh well us as a party decided against this and i will say them you know i joked with you about not wanting to hear manchim's backstory uh not gonna utilize your lore at all and just killing him mm-hmm. but when it got there ben i thought you know what i de- i do actually want to hear it yeah yeah and so i feel i cannot be blamed for what happened next because <laughs> and i think you'll recall james of all people 
was telling me to just throw my dagger at him. And he was getting quite aggressive he with was, these demands. He was getting pretty, pretty heat up about it, yeah. By the end of the encounter, he was... Um, you know, he was just saying, Joe, just do it. Just kill him. And I'm like, well, okay, fine. Well, I guess we won't be hearing any backstory today. I've, so, um, yeah, I mean, so when you got into Manchun's private sanctum, which is like a, a small little demiplane, which which fun bit of lore was created by the original Manchun and this Manchun then found, um, it's, uh, you had your little fun cinematic battle with the simulacrum and all of the reinforcements. And that was kind of the encounter, really, because I knew that that they were their last form of defense. Manchin's been watching you this whole time. He's seen you going through the towers. He knows that if you barge into his bedroom as he's attaching his metal arm, that you've killed everybody. You've killed his last reign of defense. You've killed his, his second in commands, basically. And uh, so he was going to, his whole goal was, right, they've made it this far. I know that it's going to be a tough fight if they want to fight me. I'd rather recruit them. But also, as a precaution... Let's go to the audience chamber where it's a little bit bigger. There's a little bit more room rather than my bedroom. And also I can run away to a certain room somewhere in the sac- in the sanctum. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you didn't allow that to happen. That's that, of course, not. Um, and I, I knew this was going to be a tough fight, specifically in the small space that you were in with the little stair set up. The sort of go- the stairs go up. They got a little landing and then they go up again, uh, curved round. I knew it was going to be a tough fight. But I did not expect there to be multiple silences, two giant octopuses uh, for you to grab his staff off of him. Uh, you know, it, it was it was brutal <laughs> from my position. You, you know what, Ben? You know what? It, <clears throat> it, it was interesting to me to look at this and look at the perspectives of how you can view this fight. Mm. And I think... On paper, if there are a lot of DMs to, were to, and we'll explain the minutiae of it in a minute, what went down, but if a lot of DMs were to look at this on paper, they would describe this as bad, right? Mm-hmm. As as perhaps anticlimactic, not uh, as intended, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately unsatisfactory. I can tell you it was the complete opposite of that, <laughs> and, and this is why. This is why. And I can... The only... Analogous I can use is that of a chess match. We've been getting into chess lately. We have. We, we, yeah. I think you can agree we're both terrible at the game. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. One of our friends is quite good, which is quite annoying, but us ourselves are quite bad. So uh, I apologise if anyone out there is uh, a bit of a chess fanatic. and I'm just going to butcher the game mm-hmm. with this analogy. But it felt like a game where you're really up on material. You've got loads more pieces than the the opponent, which we did uh, in terms of action economy and whatnot. Well, you had a full party plus two uh, NPCs being run by players. And there was just one Manchun. Yep. So we had the action economy, we had the material, and we had the control. We had control of the board, Ben. You really did. Because the whole thing is we had a tight space to work with, which worked very much in our favour, and we had a lot of grapplers in the group, including two octopuses, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) which really locked down Manchun. It was good. But... This whole time, throughout the whole fight, Manchun's queen was sitting right next to our king. Yeah. One single mistake, even though we were winning from the start and we had control, just one single miscalculation, then, and we were going to get checkmated. Mm-hmm. Okay? We were constantly in check. You know what I mean? Trying yeah. to... <laughs> yeah. Because Manchun literally just had to, to get off one spell, just a single spell 
and he was going to kill one of us. Mm-hmm. Just and there was literally nothing we could do about it, pretty much, other than a counter spell. But it was, it was rough. So that's what made it really exciting, intense throughout. And even though we were winning a lot, it never felt like we were safe. And I think that's a a, a key in this whole fight. And so basically, what we did is we managed to lock down Manchun with grapplers and once again Brom clutches he is summoned two giant uh, octopuses who which are which made it f- physically impossible for Manchun to move through the room they were in they were blocking yeah. the the escape yeah. route because he basically had Manchun's bedroom and then a tight winding uh, staircase corridor basically right mm-hmm. and then which led to another room but that was all blocked off and they are great grapplers as well so Manchun was getting grappled and then on top of that we had wizards and bards casting silence. Silence is a pretty basic spell, and most of the time, fairly useless, but certain niche scenarios. We've used it one other time in this campaign to good effect. But here, it completely obliterates wizards, because there are so few spells that do not require verbal components. I didn't even realise things like Misty Step require you to speak. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think it does. But it does, apparently. So, it basically gave Manchu no spells He to had use. nothing to do. When I looked at my notes at the end of the, the fight, bear in mind he has a staff of power. He cast two spells, I think, from his staff of power. And he cast three using spell slots. Three spells. And I think the highest level was like fourth. I was gutted. I didn't get to get off that power <laughs> kill. Or the finger of death. And, and I we love that spell. Ru- and we were ruling that anything that comes out of a magic item like a staff or whatever, doesn't require the initial components, right? No. And I don't know if that's uh, like raw or whatnot, but it seemed pretty reasonable to me. Like, I'd assume you do the components and whatnot as you cast it into the staff or, or during its creation, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but yeah, so it, it makes more sense you just blast the old, you know, spell out the staff or whatever. But even then, he only had like quite offensive spells from the staff of power. Mm-hmm. Nothing that was going to help he had, him escape. Um, he, he didn't have escaping spells. He had Globe of Invulnerability in the staff, which is great for, you know, spells. But you guys had quite a few melee characters that could just walk up to him and start hitting him as well. So, In a way, it proves what or the weaknesses of a classic wizard build mm-hmm. in that, like, I wouldn't say Manchun's built poorly or anything, but he's... From a ca- classic D&D sense, he didn't have the highest AC in the world, right? His AC had, was 19. But he had no mobility, right? Mm. And that's the problem. His mobility came from his spells. And it just proves that, like, if you're a wizard, you need to have, like, a big bag of meat in front of you to take mm-hmm. up all those blows. Because <laughs> that's not where you want to be. And as soon as we got a hold of him, we didn't let go. And... You know what, Ben? I, I want to give a formal apology to yourself on this one, okay? <laughs> okay. On behalf on behalf of the party, because it did feel like as the as the campaign as the fight went on, mm. and we got more and more delirious, as tends to happen in these long, long sessions. Mm. Uh, it felt less and less like we were telling a cooperative story together, the party and the DM, and more 
the the party was trying to break your soul personally <laughs> and uh, it became it became what i would call an adversarial relationship it did it and, did feel that way at times and yeah. i'm not sure because you weren't even really trying that hard to kill us or to no. be awkward the we thing just is, had we were just out for we smelt blood you went in for the it water. you really went we just, for it I um uh, I even put two NPC characters played by other people in the group so that I could feel like I killed someone without having any <laughs> like ramification. But it got to the point where we were halfway through the fight where I just went, Do you know what? Fuck this. If he gets the chance he's gonna kill one of you. <laughs> but it, it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. I, you know, I must apologize because I don't know what came over it. I'm blaming James, to be honest. I think he was <laughs> I think he was the most aggressive during this whole encounter, if I'm so, honest. I mean, here's the thing. I feel like I'm going to get the last laugh because you guys went in there and and reasonably so I set it up this way with the expectation that no matter what, Manchun is a bad guy. Like he is evil. And that's because it's come from people like the Xanifer. It's come from people like the Blackstaff and not only the Blackstaff, but Kelvin's soul inside the actual physical Blackstaff telling Kiro to kill Manchun because whatever he has to say can't be worth listening to and then you got there and you did listen to him for a little bit which was nice because I thought oh it'll be really interesting to see how certain characters react like Lilith who is part of the Zentarum um, react to what he has to say and I got bloody emotional doing it as well and then uh, and then you killed him and I feel well, like he- you guys think like oh well, well that's kind of the end of that then but I mean you're in his sanctum you found his notes and I, I sat on a call with Sam the other day who was playing on the npcs and i said oh do you want to hear the notes that the that manchin's written in his journal because you probably won't be in the game when the players go through it and he was like yeah absolutely and he said you know i feel so guilty (laughs) i feel so bad here's here's the thing ben here's the thing right um it was james's fault first of all (laughs) he he initiated the combat well i mean look how he initiated combat but he was egged on okay yeah yeah you know i was i was led astray and i could tell or a couple of a couple of key moments in this fight where things had changed, the environment had changed, if you will, the tone had changed. Mm. Um, one was when Manchun tried to misty step away, and instead of us politely reminding you as the DM who had a lot going on in, during this fight, lots of different stat blocks, that oh no, you actually need a verbal component, mm. um, we we lambasted <laughs> to you down down the Discord <laughs> server, shouted, you can't nay, do how. That. Dare you? You cannot do that. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, pretty <Okay>. much. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. You know. So again, I can only apologise. Um, and then another moment was when uh, James or myself was doing some bullshit. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really eking out every advantage out of our turn, and then we said, "But Ben, can we do this?" And you just went. Sure, and I just, I just felt, I felt your little heart break in half at that point and, and, and wither into dust. And I thought, that's it. He's, he's, he's dead. Yeah. He's dead on the inside. He's but dumb. you know, it was interesting about this fight, Ben. And I got a couple of questions. Okay. Um. Well, first of all, I want to say this. Okay. Yeah. I need to call out Phoebe. I need to call out Lilith on this. Okay. Um. Because you know what, Ben. I'm sick of her behaviour, all right? I'm <laughs> sick of it. So let me explain. Okay. You've, yes. you've, you've, you've been holding this in for like a week, haven't you? Well, well, man, I've been thinking about it. It's been keeping me up at night, you know what I mean? I've, I've got to get it off my chest. Yeah, whereas so, I have locked the memory out of my brain, but go on. 
Yeah. So, uh, Manchun, as you described, turns out was a very sympathetic character. Yes. Okay. It was a very sympathetic character. Ultimately, probably a good character. Mm-hmm. But, as you mentioned as well, every single NPC we've met mm-hmm. who knows anything about Manchun has told us, no, no, he's bad. Kill. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Beyond this, Cowrie's personal motivation was that uh, Manchun is literally just one single step in the road to killing the Xanathar, yeah. which he is bound to do by madness, right? There's mm-hmm. no getting out of it. He's doing this. He wants it. He believes this is the, the most important thing he will ever do in his life. And so Manchun could have been an angel, you know what I mean? Harry <laughs> was still going to take him out if that means getting closer to the Xanathar, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And his eventual gun. But beyond that, Manchun also wasn't an angel. We quickly found out after we killed him, but he's been blackmailing half of Waterdeep. And, you know, he's a, he's he's doing naughty stuff just like everyone else. like two, two important people, but okay. No, he's doing naughty stuff like everyone else, right? Yeah. And so Lilith, Phoebe's character, who I must say, Ben, is terribly gullible. You know, I mean, she, she's too precious for this harsh world that we live in of Waterdeep. Sure. Uh, Instantly, well, okay, look, she's a Zentarum, you know, Manchun's also a Zentarum, I get that. But she's like, straight away, no, I want to help the guy. There's no there's no helping him because the party's out for blood. Mm-hmm. And we're not just out for Manchun, we're out for Ben's blood at this point, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So uh, this that's not going to happen. But then, Ben, then, Ben, Lilith has the audacity, the audacity, Ben, to bitch to Kauri about how, oh no, we killed the big bad wizard and he was my friend, okay? <laughs> and how horrible Kauri is. Does she not remember when Kauri dragged her unconscious fucking limp corpse out of a <laughs> den of orcs, literally risking his own life? He had like four HP when he did that, Ben. Mm-hmm. He had like four. That was a nearly a TPK scenario. I mean, look, this sounds like an issue between you and Lilith. Um <sighs> And I'm just and beyond a that, Ben, and then Ben, she's got the audacity to complain with uh, when I give the fucking wand of binding to uh, to Brom, Brom yeah. instead of her. It's just like you get all the magic items. I'm like, bro, I got one magic item, and I paid for it myself. <laughs> Talk to the wizards who are kitted out. They've got magic items coming out of their ass, left, right, and center. Talk to Ben, <laughs> who's biased for giving his own character magic items in That's his own D&D true. game. That's not true. I don't give myself items at all. Um, ben, James doesn't sorry, let me. Sorry, was, was Orlo complaining about not getting the robes of the Magi? Did I not get an earful I mean, from Orlo? Yes. Did that not happen? In character, mm. but I know, Ben knows, in the back of his mind, well and truly, that Orlo can't even use those robes. Mm-hmm. So well, there's that for all you. All I'm saying is, Lilith has, needs to have a good look at herself because she's a hypocrite, Ben. Okay. And uh, right. well, I don't like it. Okay. I mean, Joe likes it. Joe likes it very much. But Carrie, he's he's not a fan. What In fact, was your um, what was your I'll question, go- mate? You went, <laughs> you just went off on one. Well, I would go as far as to say, Ben, is that Carrie, Carrie, in fact, dislikes him. Okay? Yeah. Well, yeah I, mean, I mean, I knew that was coming. Anyway, my question is. Um, you must have known when you placed a staff of power mm-hmm. and robes of the Magi and a ninth level uh, spell book mm-hmm. in here mm-hmm. that the players could acquire them. Yes. So my question to you, Ben, is how do you intend 
to balance Kiro. Now he's going to be wearing robes of the Magi Saga okay. and has a so, ninth level spell book. Let me say some things before we get into this mess that has been created for me. First of all, um, the game was very enjoyable for me, even though you guys are out for my blood, so don't worry about that. I did enjoy it a lot, um, even if I didn't get to throw off a power word, kill, or a finger of death at anyone. Uh, and I do like... Like, I knew going in that Kauri was going to go for his blood because he was there with three people from the Xanathus Guild. Like, he had to go for him. I also knew that Kiro was going to go for him because Kiro wants to be the Black Staff and he's been told by the, the Black Staff to go and do this thing. So I knew that was going to happen. Brahm's along for the party. Uh, so is Nathaniel. And Lilith is probably the only one who'd think twice about it before. Now, afterwards, having spoken to him and about his history and now having his notes and being able to access those i think at least brahm and lilith will think twice about what they did <laughs> and will probably feel quite bad i don't think kiro or kauri are gonna are gonna give two twists to be honest with you um so for context my manchin this manchin is a clone of the original manchin the original manchin is very very evil has an ex a, a, a long exasperated law within the forgotten realms this manchin is one of the ones that survived the manchin wars in surviving, he escaped and descended down into Undermountain and trained with and stayed with Halaster Blackcloak, the Mad Mage, and became good friends with him. And at some point, he asked Halaster for a duel, and Halaster said in his madness, Yeah, fine, we can have a duel, but if you lose, you've got to give me your arm. And of course, Manchun lost and then ran away to hide in Kolar Towers. I have written a whole story for Undermountain, should anyone wish to follow it. That is that uh, the knot in the weave underneath Undermountain, created when the city of Alathandar by the elves was raised magically, has grown over time, turned sentient, and has taken control of Halaster. Halaster is like its avatar. And while down there, Manshun watched Halaster descend even further into this madness, into this control of the knot. And eventually found, hidden deep underneath his lair in Undermountain, thousands of Halaster clones that had been created by Halaster through the, the, the want of the weave. Now, Halaster is constantly fighting back, which is why he switches and changes personalities. That's why he's got this quote-unquote madness. He's constantly fighting and trying to free himself, and sometimes he manages to get away for a short amount of time, but he's always pulled back. And whenever Halaster dies, the weave just takes his soul, throws it back into a clone, and off he goes. The Weave's goal, as far as we know, is to consume Toril by expanding Undermountain across every single stretch of it. Once it's filled out and hollowed out the earth, who knows what will happen above ground? We don't know. Will it extend further to other worlds? God knows. It's got a mind of its own. It's it's pure magical energy. But that's bad. Like, that's not good. And Manshun, having found the clones and tried to free Halister, realised all I can do is try and kill him and stop his soul from going back into another clone. And Halister, uh, sorry, Manchun himself, knows how bad it is if all of those clones were to activate at the same time. Christ, imagine if that happened with Halister, who is ten times more powerful than Manchun. So Manchun's whole thing, having lost this jewel and escaped to Kodak Towers, is to get the 500,000 gold's worth of dragons from Dragon Heist and use it to fund an expedition to go down and find a way to free Halister from his internal trapment underneath the weave and eventually untie the knot if that's possible we don't even know yet so ben when we met halister which personality was uh, in the old driving seat that was when he was free and uh, noted specifically 
by the fact that he went to visit a friend of his. So you saw him when he visited a woman who had descended into Undermountain with a party and they'd all died and she had stumbled into, without meaning to, Hallister's private domain, his demi-plane, and had tea with him. And Hallister, in that moment in time, actually was in a good mood and quite liked her. So he, when he can, when he can escape, he goes back to her in an attempt to, like power through and remind himself of being himself and have tea with her but he's still mad like he's still done this for thousands of years like he's still absolutely nuts in his brain even when he's himself uh but yeah so that was when he was hallister and not controlled by the weave but of course manchun says to you well look i know you guys are looking for the stone i've been following you i know that you're here to kill me because i'm manchun and i know that i can't go out and walk the streets because people will condemn me that's why you're here for my blood but this is why i'm doing it this is why i want the money and he also says hey if i do this and i prove to the city that i've just saved the fucking world they might forgive me because i am my own version of manchun and he himself believes he is manchun because he's a clone so he has kind of redeemed himself. He's less evil, but I mean, he's still probably on the 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 evil spectrum. But he's probably not chaotic anymore. He's probably more lawful evil. Um, so he's kind of like he is redeeming himself. So everyone thinks he's bad because they're they're going off of what they know Manchun to be. But this guy is different, and he's been hiding out for for hundreds of years at this point. So that's kind of where it was at. My plan <laughs> with the, the Staff of Power, I knew that none of you can use the, the, the robes of the Magi because they're black robes and they're for evil alignment characters. None of you are evil. At most, you're true neutral. I think maybe some of you are chaotic. I think all those chaotic neutral. Um, however, the Staff of Power, his plan was to, if he could, get you to the audience chamber where he could talk and then fight you if he had to and then run to another room which has a certain trap in it if things got bad. But his worst case scenario was to break the staff because that unleashes a massive explosion and there's a 50% chance he could survive. That's his That's his nuke button. <laughs> he does have the ability to teleport out. Uh, worst case scenario as well. So it would have been like, okay, can I get in a position where I can teleport away or at least misty step away and then run to like my teleportation circle and get out of the sanctum at the very least and, and initiate a, tra a chase if not really i'm gonna die if i'm gonna die anyway i'll snap the staff and i'll take a 50 50 chance and i'll see if i can survive and at least maybe i'll blow up my sanctum while i'm doing it and all of my mm. secrets will go away so when you had him not grappled but restrained and looked up the actual rules on how snatching an item out of an npc's hands worked and read them to me verbatim i was like well, well i guess i have to let you try um well, here's the thing ben. and you succeeded Look, well here's the thing i was thinking about this yeah and i knew he could probably break the uh the staff right i didn't know what what staff he had at the time mm -hmm. um but i knew that was an ability of of uh you know many uh different uh magical staff of that sort of power level mm -hmm. um so I was like, what can I do? And then I was like, I know, I like, I swear I remember I've read in the DMG, there's optional rules in there for lots of different things. I was like, there's got to be something in there for disarming. Because I mm -hmm. thought, I thought, is that just like a Battlemaster thing? And I was like, no, no, no. Surely everyone's got to be able to disarm as like an action, right? If you yeah. want to try it. 
So I looked it up. So, so consequently, as soon as I looked it up, the whole thread, it was like a Reddit thread where I got the information from and the page number and that. They were like, is this broken? This seems broken. Hmm, I don't know if this is a good rule. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to leave that bit out for the minute. I'm just going to... Yeah. I'm just going to take the rules as is. Just read those to Ben. Let's yeah. not let's not worry about whether it and is let's, or let's is not balanced. And let's remind you that I was deep in running a combat with like, like nine characters. It's I was like, it's in the book. That's good <laughs> enough for me. That's yeah. good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone wants to know, it's on page 271. And essentially, you can make an attack roll. And then whatever you roll is then contested by the target's strength, athletics, or dexterity. Um, and then you have disadvantage on the roll if they're holding it with two hands. Mm. Uh, and the target has adv- advantage on it if it is larger than the attacking creature and, and whatnot. So there's a few different modifiers there. Anyway, long story short, because uh, he re- was restrained, he was holding it in two hands, but because he was restrained, like it... it I was able to do it. I, I still had to roll quite high because I was also uh, poisoned at the yeah, time, yeah. which was inflicting disadvantage and things. But I managed to make it happen. I was also hasted at the time, so that helped as well, get yeah. with my action and economy. And Good old Orlo helping you out there. And so um, for the second time in this campaign, which is hilarious because I did this right at the start, Stole a, a magical, powerful staff off a wizard before <laughs> we fought wizard. him. Yeah, <laughs> did that at the start, and now I'm doing it near the end. Yeah, uh, I managed. It's, to it's na- cyclical. It's like poetry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it rhymes. Yeah. Uh, I managed to nab that little staff off of him, which yeah. was so, very handy. I don't know how I'm going to balance that. Um, <laughs> to be completely honest with you, I need to. I'm going to have to seriously think about it. I mean, at this point, we're at the end game anyway. For these characters, I think I James has sort of said to me that he doesn't think Kiro under any circumstances is going to leave Waterdeep. So I don't I don't really think it'll be too much of an issue because all we've got left are the vault. And I don't think you'll be fighting the ancient gold dragon. I think you're going to try and talk your way out yeah, of it. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so it won't the, really uh... won't really come into it there. Um, and then Xanatha. And then Xanatha. And I kind of I kind of want you to succeed with that because I want it to be your big your big leaving uh, session really like that yeah. would be such a cool way to cap off Cowrie's stories for him be- to become the Xanifer effectively so that would be but really fun it does show though how and because Cowrie still, still needs to get kitted out for that fight once they've got the bundles of money mm-hmm. um, he's going to spend it on he'll probably I think, I think he probably needs to spend maybe like I don't know 10 grand or something and he can max out his dagger at yeah. least with tags and stuff on it and yeah, uh, yeah. give it some effect so he'll probably do that uh, and he wants to get a ring of evasion. Um, so I'll probably unattune from the cloak of uh, Elvenkind because I don't think I'm going to be stealthing much in that fight, to be honest. No, He's okay. probably got quite a good perception, the old Xanatha. The, the, the being with 11 eyes, yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Uh, and so I need to get a ring of evasion, things, whatnot. But it just shows how those like legendary magic items... And like the very rare ones really do change the game dramatically. Oh, absolutely. Because I was thinking about this. Kiro's already got an item that boosts his, uh, his spell save DC, mm-hmm. which before Tasha's came out was very, very hard to get. There were very few items that do that. Now it's actually quite easy because of all the spell books. Yeah. Um, but still, he's got that. And then... The robes of the Magi also boost it, and then if he becomes evil, but he's not evil, so he can't wear them. 
Why, well, why can't he wear them? Because well, he's not evil. Because he's not evil. Because robes, you get you either get white robes, grey robes, or black robes. White robes only work for characters with good alignment. Grey robes work with ne- neutral, and black work with evil. And Manchun yeah, has yeah, black sure, robes. Yeah, but surely that Manchun was not evil, as you were saying. He's he's not as evil. He's still on the evil alignment spectrum. He's more like lawful evil rather than chaotic evil. Yeah, but Ben, I don't think he, what he's doing sounds very evil at all. I mean, he is still blackmailing people and ultimately trying to get in power within Waterdeep through more altruistic. Ben, uh, ben you've literally just described Kira. Yeah. So maybe Kira should be a little bit more evil then. That's what I think, Ben. I think the robes would work on him because I think Kiro is... He keeps saying he's a good guy, but... Kiro's absolutely he, not a good guy. No, no, no. This is the thing. And this I thought our group's got a lot of hypocrisy in it, Ben. A lot of hypocrisy because uh, everyone keeps saying they're... I mean, I guess that shows that they're well-rounded characters because everyone thinks they're the hero of their own story. Mm. And uh, Kiro believes that. But uh, as we've seen, he's, he's a little bit too power-hungry for that. But anyway... As for, um, if, if yeah, I mean, if you want to change his alignment and actually roleplay him as being an evil character, you really want to cement that in, then I'll let you wear those those robes. But here's the thing, if he does wear them, yeah, he'll have probably like a 19 AC, uh, mm-hmm. and then he will um, also have advantage on saving throws against spells and, and magical effects, and your spell save DC increased by two. He'll have a, a spell save DC over 20 at this point. What Which is your spell save DC then? Because you're only a what, level one wizard, aren't you? No, no, I'm saying if Kiro was. Oh, Kiro, yeah, Kiro won't buy them. Kiro's not evil. Kiro's good. I mean, he's ben, at least neutral. No, no, no. I've been saying, I think we've been crossing white, so I've been saying Kiro this whole time. Oh, I've been thinking about Kauri, sorry. No, no, no. Ben, Kiro is definitely not good. Because I don't you, know. Because you, he, you, his everything values, that you... he does, he does for the betterment of the city of Waterdeep. So I think at the very least he's chaotic neutral maybe but also everything he does conveniently benefits himself and goes directly towards its own personal goals yeah it does. and when you just said and when you just described about how oh he's blackmailed a few people done a few of this blah 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 when you were describing um Okay, Manchun, yeah, but here's, here's the difference. Kiro's though. done the exact same thing. No, but here's the difference. Kiro hasn't blackmailed anyone or like threatened anyone's life or or hurt anyone. Kiro has done things for organizations that are looking out for the small people within the cities. Kiro has worked for the Harpers, who are a good aligned party. They do things for the good. Kiro's worked for the Blackstaff, who is in charge of magical protections of the city of Waterdeep. The things he does, yes, they betterment himself, but unlike torturing people and hurting people, he's helping people. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. T- to me, he just... It, uh, there is a big wants difference to be, He Kira wants to be... He wants to be the black staff so badly. For sure, of course he does. So badly. But I would argue that the Manchun that we met is not evil. Because he's I think, doing I think he is I think he's lawful evil because he still has his his tactics of doing things like blackmail and like uh you know, a little bit of torture here and there, like stuff like that. that's still evil behaviour. He does them for the right reasons, but he still acts evilly. Mm, I don't I don't know, because I think it's down to the intent. Uh, and this is, I suppose, this is maybe it's a problem with alignment in D and D and how it's mm-hmm. basically pointless at the, you know, at this juncture. But it's down to the intent. I feel like to be an evil character, you've got to knowingly, like, really understand 
that what you are doing is hurting other people purely for your own benefit. But Manchun, if he was just doing all these things to gain power for himself, he would be evil. But he's not. This is why Kauri's not evil, because Kauri done some fucked up stuff. But again, none of it's to benefit himself. Mm. It's for this, what he perceives, even if it's not an altruistic goal, it's what they perceive to be an altruistic goal. Yeah, As such, I, I, don't think, I don't think you can then be considered evil in that sense. Now, perhaps there's a line where even if you, you get to the point where you're doing such heinous stuff that even if you're, like, you perceive yourself as being altruistic, to not have the wherewithal to say, well, what I'm doing is beyond uh, the, the, uh, the benefit of achieving this goal. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have that, then you just kind of become like a psychopath at that point. And at that point, yeah, you're just evil regardless. But I don't think anything Manchun's done is at that level. I don't think anything Cowrie's done is at that level. So it's kind of a tricky one, what you say alignment is. Yeah, it is a tricky that's, one. That's why I keep calling Cowrie neutral, because... He chops and change. <sighs> he goes both ways. He does both. Yeah, well, in his mind, he's chaotic good. Mm. I, mean, I mean, if he was, if, if, if Cowrie had any sense of alignment and was going to put himself on that scale, he would call himself chaotic. But I also think most people would put themselves on the good scale, right? Mm. There would be very few characters that are knowingly, like like Palpatine is going to put himself on the evil scale because he, he just revels in actually being evil. Yeah. Uh, there are some people like that, I guess. But I think, um, like I say, yeah, I would, I would put Manchun probably on the good or neutral scale, the mansion we met anyway, mm-hmm. because he, like I say, he's striving towards an, what he believes to be a impossibly important altruistic goal. And the things he's going to do to get there maybe may corrupt his soul a little bit, but it's worthwhile in the end. It's sort of the, the needs of the many, the needs of the few sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a strong argument, and it, it's uh, it's definitely something that I think is tricky, and you you have to map your way around, especially when you're changing characters that are pre-written to. Um, this is this is why Ben Paladins are the best class in the game because <laughs> this is their entire makeup is mm-hmm. dealing with this one problem of I'm trying to achieve this good thing. What questionable bad things can I do to get there without? falling yeah. as a paladin and it basically is exactly what we're describing here i mean where would you put orlo on on the alignment scale orlo is either true neutral or chaotic neutral because he is actively doing things to help out a good organization but he is also doing things to gain more power and knowledge like his his want is just pure power like he just wants magic like he just wants to know everything he just wants to grow and consume and it and that in itself has consumed him to the point where he is dabbling with dark deities and is close to stepping over that line into evil but he's not quite there yet well that's the thing yeah so all those are good example of the alignment on that scale in that okay he's neutral because he doesn't when he sees the opportunity to do a good thing, mm. he won't do it unless it necessarily benefits him, right? Mm-hmm. So as such, he's not an altruistic character in that sense. He, His moral compass does not see necessarily beyond himself. And perhaps... And like people think, oh, if you're a true neutral character, like true neutral, 
you uh, you can't care about anything. Well, that's not the case. No, all no. I could still help his friends because he cares about them, mm-hmm. and still be within that neutral alignment. Yes. But it's more about because helping his friends helps himself because he likes those people, so he wants to help them, which makes himself feel good. That you can go into that argument of like, okay, does anyone actually help anyone else for other than just doing it for themselves? You know, there's the there's a whole I guess philosophical debate about that. Whereas like, is anything you do that's good actually for anyone else mm. but to not get too deep into that you could like I say he can still care for those people now then i guess he would only drop into the evil spectrum if he began to do things deemed so bad again just to fuel his own am- ambition now i would yeah. say i would argue if orlo had say a goal of i want the exact same goal of i want to get as much magical knowledge and blah blah, blah as possible but then you tacked on the end, so I can defeat this really evil person or do this very heroic thing. Mm-hmm. I think the amount of evil stuff he could do to achieve that goal without dropping into the evil alignment would be more. Yeah, for sure. Because he's because he's trying to strive towards a more altruistic purpose. But because he is just solely for himself, I think his ability to do those things and not be considered quote unquote evil is is less. If that yeah. makes sense. I. You see, he Orlo has this thing where he is he's intrigued by everything magical. Like he wants to know things. So when he finds something that's deep, dark, and dangerous, and very much will corrupt him, he says, "Oh, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to understand it, and I'm going to learn it. But I'm never going to use it. I'm going to hide it away. But in learning it and understanding it, he's tempted by it to use it and take it out for a spin. And that's where I." I play him and that's why I enjoy his story that James runs for me because he's constantly walking at this this line of how far can I go until I've gone too far and will I cross over? You know what it reminds me of very much, Shobem? Don't say Anakin Skywalker. Uh, I mean, it, it is like that, but it's more so... Uh, it reminds me of the last episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> Does it? Does and it? I'll, explain, I'll explain how this is now, uh, I guess... There's no way of me explaining. So, spoilers for the last episode of Mandalorian. Just skip, which, skip forward like a minute and a half, maybe. Which was like, uh, I don't know, what was it episode 14, I think, or something? Yeah, 14. Um, anyway, in that, as you know, the Mando, he's got this rule. He lives by these archaic set of beliefs that he cannot show his face to anyone. Mm-hmm. And during the episode, Bill Burr's character talks to him. He's like, well, is it you can't take your helmet off or you can't show your face? Like, where's this sounds very arbitrary to me. Where's the line? Which and one he is des- it? Because they're both very different. Yeah. And he describes that at the end of the day, it's a belief system, just like any other, just like the Empire, just like the rebels. That when people come, people come push to shove and people get desperate, they will falter on these arbitrary notions of good, of bad, in this case, of taking your helmet off, not taking it off, uh, in pursuit of their own benefit. Mm-hmm. And then when Mando's beliefs are pushed to that extreme and he does become desperate and the only way to save uh, old Grogu, baby Yoda, is to remove his helmet, he doesn't flinch. He just does it, right? Mm-hmm. And he just forsaked his whole character and what he believes. And so this reminds me very much of what we're talking about here because it's the same thing with, say, paladins in, in D&D. It's... At what point do do I go so far? Do I uh, remove myself of these burdens of oaths just to get the job done? And what will it cost me? Well, we don't know yet because there hasn't been a new episode of Mando. But I would presume this is really going to fuck him up mm. because now his entire worldview has, has just has just come crushing down around him. Everything he thought he knew, 
he doesn't because before to take his helmet off he would rather die than do that now right mm. but now he's just done it in pursuit of this kid which makes him think has has my whole life been a lie has everything i've been doing up until this point been completely meaningless because i've because what's important to me now is saving this kid everything else in my life that i just held so dear and important has now become so arbitrary mm. because i just did it and nothing's changed i've not burst into flames I'm still who I am. I still have the same skill set I am, and I still have the love for this kid, and the, and and my purpose is still there. But all this other stuff is just kind Gone. of falling away. Yeah. And I would, I, uh, it's going to seem kind of unrealistic if he doesn't have sort of a complete crisis of faith now going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Uh, so I hope they explore that. But bringing it back to D and D, it's the same with everyone's morality systems, right? And so the alignment that people try and bind themselves into, being in this good alignment and whatnot, well, what happens when you do need to stretch yourself out of that to achieve the goal? And that's what happened with Kauri. Originally, I put Kauri into a chaotic good alignment at the start. Mm -hmm. But he slowly and slowly drifted further and further towards the evil spectrum because he's continually doing things in pursuit of what he believes to be a higher purpose. And every time he does one of these things... Yeah, it corrupts his soul a little bit, and mm. maybe he'll be really fucked up in the future by it. But he sees, okay, I've done this thing. Now the next thing I need to do is going to be a little bit easier. My belief system of this not being okay, cutting this guy's tongue out, torturing this guy, all in pursuit of a higher power, is is okay. And I mean, you step... you didn't need to cut his tongue out in pursuit of a higher power. That ben, was an optional. He he, thing he was did. a slaver, okay, Ben, and he needed to get off my shores. <laughs> yeah, all okay, right. all right. <laughs> and uh, going further and further along this spectrum um, to the point now where he's doing things that are not directly linked to achieving this greater goal of killing the Xanathar, the greatest evil in the world, or at least he believes it. They're not directly linked to it, but he's beginning to justify them anyway, like um, com- completely stealing a, a single man's livelihood and taking mm-hmm. over his jewelry, jewelry institution and ruining him. Mm-hmm. Uh because he thinks, oh, well, I need the money. I need the money. I need the legitimacy to achieve his anathema. Turns out he doesn't actually need that, Ben. But it's much easier to justify it now. Yeah, so it's such sure. a slippery slope of how do I push myself in this direction, do what I need to to achieve the goal, but also not become a monster. See, it's things like this that I really enjoy about the alignment system. But I'm also... There's, there's other times where it just doesn't come into play that I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if it was skipped out of future editions of the game. But it, it it's a struggle. I think if used properly and if it's put into this much thought when you're doing your character development, then then you can you can really benefit from having that alignment system. But I think to really make the most of it, you have to do what you've done. And it's what I do with my characters. And that's to to come back to it every time you level for instance and say okay am i still this alignment am i still playing a character that's neutral or good or evil am i still that person because you change and you develop that's what character development is and if you can keep a track on that and if if the alignment system is your way that you keep a track on that you can see the differences in your character as you play the game and that's where i think the enjoyment comes for for a lot of us especially those that enjoy the characterization and the role play side of the game um just to Roll back a sec, because you did ask me about the spellbook as well. Um, for reference, there are some very powerful spells in that, but no one in the party has the ability to use or copy those, so that's cool. But also, the spellbook is kind of there for a different purpose, in that 
there are NPCs who would give anything to have access to it. Um, mm. Like Lyriel, you know, like the Black Staff. This makes me think that um, situations like this where I, he- I heavily underestimated the power of the new um, Order of Scribes subclass. Mm-hmm. Because Order of Scribes can copy spells one sixtieth of the time it takes other wizards to. Yeah. So whereas you've got this whole spell book, but even if you were twentieth level and you wanted to copy the whole thing, it would take like literally weeks. Yep. Um so and oftentimes in D and D you just don't get downtime like that in a game. It's just not how it works. Like the Order of Scribes could do it in like a day. Yeah. So and copy the entire spell book. That's actually a really strong ability. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about this. A lot of the times you, you you will get spell books with loads of spells in, but you only really copy one or two because you just don't. And oftentimes you don't have the time issue of, or you know the spells already or. Yeah, exactly. But like now it's like well worth it. You just, if you want a player wizard that is trying to unlock every spell in the game, the order of scribes is, is the way to go because it's just. Mm. Really, really cool. And um, finally, I also want to mention, Ben, um, so having spoken about all this alignment and that, uh, are we agreed that the Manchun is, is neutral? Is, is, is he a neutral alignment, is he then, after discussing? Because then that would mean that Orlo could wear the robes of the Magi if, uh, if the Manchun was neutral. Here's the issue I have with this, though. In, just, in, just putting that out there. In in making this change now, I have to retrospectively tell you that the robes that you have are no longer black, and the whole time you're fighting him, it was just a dark room, and they were actually grey. <laughs> and I don't like but that. Ben, yeah, but Ben, that, this whole time, you got to remember throughout that fight, Ben, we weren't fighting the Manchun. We were fighting you. Yeah, you don't even know what you looked like, do you? You can't remember. <laughs> I just saw your face. Okay, <laughs> the, whole time, yeah. <laughs> the whole just time. Just imagining me getting <laughs> pummeled. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't want to commit to that. I don't want to commit to that right now. <laughs> I don't want to do that because I know that you're saying, "Oh, or I can have them," but then you'll just be, you'll just walk in as Carrie and be like, "I'll have those. Nah, thanks. Cheers." Nah, Carrie wouldn't use them because it, they can't be wasted on Carrie. I mean, the advantage on saving throws against spell effects, and magical effects, would be great, but. And my AC would go up by three, mm. which would be nice. But the, the DC and spell attack bonus is the real juicy one, and yeah, I don't, I don't know very many spells, so it's not really oh. going to be good on me. Just why, just why I gave the um, the, the wand of binding, which I love, uh, to Brom because he's got no single target spells mm. really that are good. Mm. So now he can just do that when he's kind of instead of just hitting people with a stick i think it'll be more effective <laughs> to do that which is yeah anything would be more effective than that and another thing ben when lilith was like oh, i'll give him the wand of bond i'm like you do like 40 damage around okay you don't yeah. need help she just she just wants to do something more than hit with her rapier twice and then use her dancing sword, which I get. I get that. But I'm like, why are you playing a sword spard then? That's what they do. I mean, we have been playing this campaign for like a year and a bit. Yeah, but I don't know why. See, Phoebe needs to look at her spells because they're like really good spells. Really good spells you can use as a bard. I mean, hypnotic pattern. I think they have hypnotic pattern. That's a really they do really, they really, do really good spell. And and she she cast the silences in that fight, which mm-hmm. was. Instrumental, yeah, in the, massively in, instrumental. Changed everything. I mean, I just didn't realise how good silence was against wizards. I mean, it makes sense, but 
And I guess the weakness is you can just walk out of it, but not if you're grappled. No, 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 no. Or if there are two giant octopus in the way, apparently. It's a it's a devastating combo. I guess. I mean, ah, oh, I was thinking. You know, when we were speaking before about how we were going to do that fight against um, oh, Litchy Boy, what's his name? Um, uh, Serac. Serac, yeah. I remember, I was, was going to play four characters. We were going to do this solo thing where yeah, I was going to try and yeah, beat him. Yeah. All I'm thinking now is I just need a grappler and some silence. Would that work? Um, he has his uh, sphere of annihilation, which would deal with the grappler. Yeah, but Ben, he controls that via a staff, which uh... via a talisman. He also yeah, has a which, staff. W- yeah, which um... how are you going to pull a talisman off his neck, mate? And the, the disarming rules, mate. I don't know what to tell yeah, you. I don't, I don't really, think they're really allowed broken. at my table anymore. <laughs> they're really, really, you know, they weren't well thought I through. Would, I would argue as well that taking the talisman off of someone's neck is not disarming. That's disrobing. And there are no rules for that at my table. Thank you very much. Mm, actually, Ben, I mean, the, the uh, sleight of hand action would cover that. And Thief Rogue <laughs> could do that as a bonus. Action. I oh, I, do you know, part of me... Part of me kind of looks forward to playing a game where you're not around the table. Because <laughs> you just know all this shit. And I'm like, how do I combat this? It's um, fun though. I like, I, I really enjoy moments in combat where you do something other than combat. What's on, well, uh, you do something other than what's on your character sheet. Yeah. You know what I mean? You yeah. think outside the box. Because as you get higher and higher in level, it's so often the case that doing anything that's not on your character sheet is just a waste. Mm-hmm. Just so ineffective to do that. Mm-hmm. Because why do you level up? Well, it's to get all these cool abilities that are on your character sheet. If you're not using them, you're kind of underpowered. But occasionally there are moments where doing something like that is really clutch. One reminded me, um, there was one on Critical Role recently where one of the characters got swallowed by a beast. Mm-hmm. And... On most of, and they know this. Most of the rules is like you just have to do a certain threshold of damage, and you can get chucked up again. Yeah. By the monster, but they decided they had a bunch of drugs on them, and they dumped <laughs> all their drugs out into the contents, into like the stomach of the the beast. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's actually a really creative idea. That just in this one niche scenario is probably more effective than just yeah, punching. Than just punching it until you get chucked out. So that was yeah. I like stuff like that. It's very rare that that stuff comes up, but. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, hey, look, we uh, we haven't done a, a nice little shout out for our friends at Dice Engine yet. So I think now is probably a good time to because um, if you didn't know, this show is brought to you in association with the Dice Dungeon, who are a wonderful UK company, two really great guys we get on really well with who uh, sell amazing D&D dice, including uh, metal and resin dice. And actually, Joe, um, I don't know if you remember ages ago, Ben sent us some photos of some really gorgeous dice, like really nice looking dice. And he said, you can't tell anyone about these. I don't know when we're going to get them. They're now available on the store. They're the uh, Plain Shard series. There's three sets. And I didn't realise <laughs> that they'd gone up. And I went to look and the set that I want has already sold out and I am gutted. Uh, but they're resin dice, and they are called the ones I like are called Shadowfell, Plain Shard Shadowfell. They are gorgeous, my friend. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I really want a set, but I'll have to wait for them to come back in. The Astral and the Water sets are still there if you want to go and grab them with ten percent off using the code We Speak Common at checkout. Of course, you can follow the uh, link in the description of this episode, and you will get that ten percent off 
uh, acquired automatically. Also, just go to the Dice Dungeon website now anyway, because it's got really cute snow and a Christmas hat and lights. It's really festive. It's nice. Um, but the other reason we wanted to give them a shout out is, uh, I don't know if you know this, Joe. Hopefully you know this. Otherwise it'll be a bit awkward. But uh, in three episodes time, it's your last episode of We Speak Common. My goodness. I know. My goodness. Uh, and they have agreed to allow us to do a nice little dice set giveaway as a, as a parting farewell from you. Um, and you've picked the set of dice. So do you want to shout about it? Well, I certainly can, Ben. Um, because, you know, when I was asked what, what, what should be the dice to signify this this great change, you know, in the in the, the multiverse, mm. uh, I picked the, uh, the Noble Platinum, Ben. It's because, uh, as you know, I, I enjoy paladins. I'm a keen, I'm a paladin fanatic, if you will. And uh, I can't think of another set of dice that uh, sort of represent that noble uh, divinity, if you will, Ben, other than the noble platinum. And I like them, Ben, because they're really thick with two C's. You know what I mean? They're really <laughs> yeah. thick. They're like bi- They're slightly bigger than all the other dice, which I appreciate. They've you know got those I mean? sharp corners as well. They, they are actually dangerous in the hands, which <laughs> which is something I enjoy. You know, I mean, there's an there's a, there's a degree of danger with them. So uh, you know, keep them out of the hands of small children, or don't. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, they're they're a great set of dice. I really like them. They are really nice. They are very popular as well. Um, so a lot of people always tell us they want to get their hands on on this set. So a uh, good choice in general. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be doing that. So we're going to pop a, uh, hopefully if you're listening to this on Thursday, I mean, if it's, if it's Thursday morning, um, it might not be up yet, but there will be a tweet pinned to the, we speak common Twitter. We'll do a usual giveaway where you go and you, you like retweet and, and follow and all that kind of stuff to, to enter. And then next week's episode will be Christmas Eve. Oh, how festive. And the episode after that will be new year's eve i believe which will be the final episode so we'll leave the entries open for a week and we'll do the announcement on the final episode with joe final episode ben three weeks away it's uh it's coming up it's approaching rapidly it's really it's really scary that it's that close uh for many reasons because like stuff's gonna change more on that in the future but also to not do this with you i've done this with you for like two and two and a half years now maybe nearly well ben look ben I'm, i'm you know I'm glad you were here with me here at the end of all things. Yeah, me too. And and that as was, we that know, was, that was a Frodo quote. That was. That oh, was, was that a Frodo quote? That was. Yeah. I just I just yeah. lost my nerd. I know. I'm pretty sure three people in the audience there were like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear." Well, look. Um, we'll we'll. We've got two weeks. We'll make the most of it. We've got some stuff to talk about. It'll be fun. Um, we were going to talk today about some desert stuff, but I guess we'll do that on Christmas Eve. What what more of a fitting time to talk about hot, sandy places? Hot, sandy places. I, I don't like mean? sand, though. It's coarse and rough and it gets Roughly. everywhere. Gets everywhere, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, Ben? In a way, it's it's like poetry. You know what I mean? It rhymes. <laughs> Full circle. Uh, all right. Let's leave it there. Um check out the twitter for the giveaway and we will we will speak to you next week if you want to get in touch you can uh, we speak common at hotmail.com we speak common.com and at we speak common on twitter if you see us on reddit it's probably me goodbye see you later
Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favor. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.